Good morning. This morning we'll be in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, through Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. We're going to talk about the preparation and creation of the earth. This passage of scripture we're at now is now one of the most controversial and perhaps most difficult passages in the Bible. And the reason that is is because science in our culture is ascendant. And honestly, I'm glad for that. I'm glad for science. Science is wonderful. Through studying the natural world in a methodological, careful manner, mankind has been able to invent things like combustion engines, antibiotic, uh, created marvels in the medical field. They can, they can give people a heart that belongs to someone else. I mean, the other person has passed away, but we can do that. It's amazing. Things we would never thought of. We can, we've domesticated animals and livestock. It's the reason that you can eat steak and the reason you can get chicken so easily is because of the marvel of science. They have bred dogs that you can carry in your purse. This is science. <laughs> Things that we need. They can give you contacts. It will give you blue eyes or brown or pink or whatever you want. You can have eight balls for eyes now. This is science. It's amazing. And I'm glad for it. The world works in an orderly and neat manner where you can study it and with careful uh, study. We can do almost anything. There's almost no limit. And the Bible itself teaches us that God has written for us two books about himself. Two books has been written. One is the Bible and the second is creation. The psalmist wrote, as uh, Robert read this morning, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. So the Bible itself testifies that creation itself is speaking of God. So it is a book, if you can think of it that way, that is speaking to us about the nature and power and awesomeness of God. Paul says it too. He talks about it like this. He says... For what can be known about God is plain to them. He's talking about us and especially those who deny God even. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. How? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Romans 1, 19 through 20. So God wrote two books. The Bible tells us this. He wrote this book for us, Special Revelation, and he wrote the world, the creation in it. The creation's purpose is to declare the glory of God to us that we might understand the beauty of God. And so that's why science is so great, is investigating the things of the Lord. And and it's marvelous. It truly is. These two can never contradict each other. These two should not contradict each other. The world tells us about God, and though I have said that they do not contradict one another, yet here in Genesis chapter 1, science and nature seem to collide, more so perhaps than anywhere else. Genesis seems to indicate by a simple reading of Genesis we're about to read that the universe is only 6,000 years old or so. Most scientists believe that the universe is 13.8 billion years old. So 6,000 and 13.8 billion is a very difficult two numbers to reconcile. 
there's a lot of difference between those two numbers. The, that's a sizable gap. Assumption of 13.8 billion years of a universe makes sense through natural law. Why does it make sense? Because light travels. Here's fun. You're getting a science lesson in preaching class. That's fine. Light travels at a constant speed of 186,000 miles per second. That's really fast. 186,000 miles per second. If you could hop in a rocket ship and travel the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, it would take you 8 minutes and 20 seconds to get to our sun. 8 minutes and 20 seconds at 186,000 miles per second. There's a reason they call it space. There's a lot of space out there. Take you eight minutes and 20 seconds. So here's something wild to think about. If the sun went out right now, we would be blessedly oblivious for eight minutes and 20 seconds. We wouldn't even know that it went out. And here's another weird thing. Every time you look at the sun, you're actually seeing where it was eight minutes and 20 seconds ago. (laughs) I love stuff like that. Anyway... The farthest we can see with our naked eye is a star called, you ready for this? So you look at the one that's the most furthest off. It's V762 Cass. It's because it's in the Cassian Cluster. Of course you know that. It is 16,308 light years away. So if you got into a rocket ship traveling the speed of light toward V762 Cass, it would take you 16,308 years to get there. That's a long ways off. The Hubble telescope, which is great. You should just look at the pictures it takes. It's amazing. It has spotted a galaxy 13.8, uh, 13.4 billion light years away. So it's right out there on the edge, 13.4 billion light years away. Uh, that's a problem. We have a 6,000-year-old universe, and all we have are natural laws. The problem should be obvious. If you're 16,000 light years away from the nearest star you can see with your naked eye, and the universe is only 6,000 years old, we shouldn't even be seeing this star for another 10,000 years, much less the Hubble telescope be able to look and see 13.4 billion years away. So what gives? Why does the universe look like, just from observation, that things are so far away when the creation seems to be so young? So let me read from Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, and we'll talk about how these things can be. Verse 3. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was an evening and a morning, day one. In your Bibles it says the first day, but in Hebrew it says day one. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters so that, uh, so that there were under the expanse from the waters those were, that were above the expanse. So he separates the waters, however he does that. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven and there was an evening and a morning the second day. Now you have heaven here, but... Again, I I told you last week, the word for heaven is Shemayim, which means sky. So when you think heaven, in a minute we're going to see birds flying in the heaven. So don't just think like heaven where God lives. It means he's making the sky. And for the, the Hebrew mindset or when he's writing here, sky includes our atmosphere and things beyond it. Up Because the 
Stars are also going to be in the Shemayim. So we have stars in the Shemayim. We also have birds in the sky. Verse 9, And God, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so, and God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, which is in their seed according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, which is in their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw it was good. And there was evening and there was a morning. Day three. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and rule over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, day four. Then God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, and and with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters of the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. Then there was an evening and there was a morning. Day five. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was a morning. Day six. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work which he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work he had done in creation. So you read this, and the Bible here in the Hebrew is very specific. It says day one, there's an evening, there's a morning, day one, there's an evening, there's a morning, day two. It does not seem to lend itself to the possibility that there was other stuff going on, millions or even billions of years. Science is awesome, as I said earlier. 
but it has limitations. The limitation of science is that it does not do miracles. It can't. And that's not putting down science. So follow with me. If you only believe in physical realities, if you only believe in physical reality, then Genesis 1 is basically absurd if you believe in a recent creation. If you only believe in physical realities, though there's no God and there's no spirit, you don't have a spirit and you don't have a soul. Science is all you have. It is basically God. You don't have a soul if there is only physical reality. That needs to be stressed very much. If you have no soul, then you are really just a mixture of chemicals responding and reacting to the environment, just like a one-celled protozoa, but with more complexity. What you perceive of as thinking and will and spirit is actually just chemical reactions happening in your head because there's no God or spirit. If you allow into the equation God or spirit, then there are things that happen that science can't do. I'll give you some examples. Jesus died and rose from the dead. That's beyond the realm of science to figure out what's going on there. So one way to understand what's happening here perhaps would be like God being a great programmer. He has programmed creation. You can see his code. DNA is written in everything. We're very similar to every other creature on the face of the earth. I think I read recently that the difference between us and apes is about 6% of the DNA code. It's not much. So there's a base code that runs through all creatures, DNA. So one way to look at the making of the universe, first of all, the Bible teaches us that God made it from nothing. He made it, the fancy word is ex nihilo. They made it out of nothing. There was nothing before God began to create. So if you think of God as a master programmer, if you went to program, they have these, by the way, if you play video games, you can go get a computer game, a PC, and it will generate for you automatically worlds. You can go explore a place, and the computer makes worlds because the programmer did it. So if God is programming the universe in six days, then he's making it live when he wants to. So he can program stuff, make, set up the things as he wants to, and bam, there it is. It doesn't take 13.4 billion years for the light to get here because he can make it already there. Now, why would he do that? Why would he do that? It's a great question. Why would he do that? Because it has a purpose. He didn't need for it to take 13.8 billion years. It doesn't matter to him. And when he needed Adam, and we'll study this in the week to come, when he needed Adam and Eve, he didn't say, well, I'm going to have to make Adam as a baby and wait for him to grow up, and then I can do the stuff with him I want to do. He made him from the dirt, and he made a full-grown man, according to Genesis. So had you met Adam one hour after he was made and said, and I ask you, how old is he? You might have said, he looks like he's about 30. And I would have said, he's two hours old. I don't know what he was like. I don't know how this worked. I don't know if God had programmed him when he woke up with memories or what. He already knew how to talk. These sort of things are wild. But what I'm telling you is this. If you have an omniscient, omnipotent, all-powerful God who's making things for his own purpose, it doesn't have to always work the way we see it. But when he made the code, he made it in a neat and orderly fashion so that we can study it and see how things work or how they would work. We see how light travels. We see how people uh, digest food. We learn how to talk. We learn all of these things 
because the universe is orderly. So if God wanted to do it in six days, he quite well could have. And it may indicate some of the purpose. However, however, what we're talking about here, I want to remind you, is the miraculous. Laws that govern the universe are in place. They're not miracles. It's just how things work. But God can override his code and do stuff. And we see that in the Bible. We see Elisha walking by a river. Guy's cutting down a tree. You remember this story? It's really weird. Guy's cutting down a tree with a borrowed axe. That's a big deal because iron was worth a lot in those days. And the axe head flies off his stick and goes in the river. And he freaks out because he don't have any money. He says, oh, man of God, my axe head was borrowed and it's flown off and fell in the river. And he, the prophet cuts a stick and throws it in the river and the axe head floats. That doesn't make any sense at all. Okay? That is one of those moments where the code is overridden. You can't. You can sit there and throw sticks all day and axe heads are not going to float. There's another one when Elisha dies. You don't know this story? There's some funny stories in the Bible. Elisha dies and they buried him, which is what you should do when people die. And another guy dies later on in a battle. And they toss that guy into Elisha's grave. And that guy comes back to life. That doesn't normally happen. If those things are true, then we have something at play here which science can't reach. It's why theology is called the queen of the sciences. Because it's studying things that science can't go to. We can't study those things. So if you believe in miracles, we don't have any problem with creation. Now I want to say, and I want to interject, that there are some things about Genesis 1 that make it look like perhaps it is not talking about a literal 6,000 years ago or whatever. It is not evident on the surface until you start looking at it. And just, I believe it probably happened recently. But we should not draw such hard and fast lines because people who read the Bible and believe every single word of it's true have come to differing opinions on this. Even before the modern era of science, even the early church fathers, some of them thought that a lot of this was to be taken metaphorically as a true myth-type story of creation and not to teach us it's a literal 6,000 years. So don't cut anybody's uh, out of the kingdom of God because they hold a different view of Genesis 1 than you. We need to go to another place. And one of the ways you can see this, there's something you can look up later. I, I, there are volumes and volumes and volumes of things written on creation and Genesis 1, and they're all very fascinating. But there's one that's called the framework hypothesis. If you look through here, what you'll find is on day one, God says, let there be light. And on day four, he makes light. He makes the sun and the moon and the stars. And then on day two, he makes uh, the heavens, the sky, and he makes the land. And on uh, day five, he has things swimming and flying. And so if you look, day one, day... Hold on, let me think a second. Yeah, day one, day four, day two, day five, day three, day six are paralleled. So day three is getting a bunch of plants and stuff together and seeds. And then you have mankind and animals and creeping things that are eating those seeds. So everything in this column is prep. Everything in this column is things that live in that stuff he made. Also, um, when the Bible says there, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and the Spirit of God was hovering over the deep. It's very complicated, but when he says he created the heavens and the earth, some people think he made everything. 
And then he comes in and he's the creation of the land after that, preparation of the promised land for the people. There are ways you can believe the Bible 100% and still not think maybe the earth is young. But I am 82% sure it's young. After all, and I don't want to hurt your head or anything, God could have literally made me five minutes ago and I would not know that. <laughs> he could make you, program you full of memories, and everything that you think you did is just in there. So don't hurt yourself, but that's true. God is a master programmer. He programs the light and the stars and the earth and the creatures, and he makes them to live. And the laws that govern this program we call the universe are in place. I'm not saying that this is a false reality. I am just trying to tell you this is the closest thing we can do with our language to grasp what God has done. God wanted a man, he made a man, he makes him out of dirt. He wanted a universe, and so he made one. And Genesis 1 teaches us that God made this universe for a specific purpose, and he concentrates on the earth for a specific reason. There is an entire cosmos, there's an entire universe out there full of billions and billions of stars. We can't even count them all. In fact, there are billions and billions of galaxies We've spotted one 13.4 billion light years away. There is a lot of stuff out there. We are looking at stars that if the natural laws of the universe are correct and the world is, oh, we see stars that have already died and we won't know it for a billion years. That's crazy. It's wild. So why, with all that out there, does God just concentrate on the earth? Well, it's because it's where we live. God made the earth. He had in mind life and people. That's the point of Genesis 1 and 2. So the thing that we're supposed to walk away from when we read Genesis 1, 3 through 2, 3 is, first of all, is that God is absolutely sovereign. He's absolutely sovereign. There is no passage in the whole Bible that establishes God's absolute rulership over everything better than Genesis chapter 1. God made everything. He speaks and the universe leaps to life to obey him. He owns everything because he made it. And he gets to govern it however he wishes. In contrast to pagan myths, we talked a little bit about them last week. God was not fighting anybody when he made the world. He didn't have to grab Tiamat by the tail and rip him in half and make the stars in the sky. He was not boxing with the devil when he made the universe. He was just speaking and peacefully things come to life as God said. He doesn't fight to make creation because his power is absolute. Power of God is absolute. So uh, we talk about the sovereignty of God and I have got so much, I broke my rule. I've got two pages of notes instead of one. This is blowing my mind. So I tell you that God is sovereign and his power is absolute. And I think, I, I'm afraid we kind of glaze over with that because we think, well, God is sovereign. He's awesome. We sing about that. Okay, it doesn't really stun us. But maybe if I tell you like this, the purpose of Genesis 1 is to teach us that God is magnificent. He's magnificent. That's a worship word. I worship God, and you should worship God, because of who you see that he is through creation. Don't worship creation. That's a mistake. We can worship the God of creation. After all, the sun and the moon and the stars were so amazing, people worship them. The moon affects our tides. 
That is crazy. The moon makes the tide go in and out. It is set in such a place that the gravity of the moon affects our world. Gives us light at night, reflects from the sun. They were wrong to worship the moon and stars, but I understand why. Because if you don't know about God, those look like them. They were wrong. And if you look at the natural world through the eyes and you're looking for God, you can find him. You can see him there. The heavens declare the glory of God. I have flown over, and you might get to this summer, I've flown over Mount Kilimanjaro. It's a big mountain. In the middle of the plains of Africa, it just like came, come up. Snow is on top of Kilimanjaro in Africa. It's beautiful. I have preached before the Uluguru Mountains of Morogoro. You can't even say that. <laughs> I've sat in God's theater and preached his word. been awed by what I've seen. I have seen the rapids of the Nile River in Uganda. I can't describe it to you. I can't do it. It is too amazing. We're <laughs> What's funny is the people who live there drive by it all the time and don't even care. I'm driving by, and I'm with Josh Moody. I'm like, dude, stop the car. What is this? It's massive. It is. Have you ever been across the Mississippi River in Baton Rouge? Some of you have. It's nothing. It's that big, and it's all rapids, and it's jungle and wild. And I was like, stop, I want to take a picture. He said, we can't, because this is the only bridge that crosses the Nile River here, and they guard it 24-7, and if you stop on it, they might shoot you. I said, well, just slow down enough that we won't get shot so I can try to take a picture. So I took like 14 pictures, and they were all worthless, (laughs) even though they're in focus. Okay? They were good pictures. And I'm looking at them going, worthless! Because what I saw and felt there could not be captured. Such a disappointment. They're called the Karuma Falls, by the way. I've seen seen the reflection of the Grand Tetons on Jackson Lake. You ever been to Jackson Hole, Wyoming? You ever seen the Grand Tetons? I put my feet in the Indian Ocean. I have witnessed the devastation of the explosion of Mount St. Helens in Washington. Leveled the forest for miles. And to this day, you can still see it knocked down. The trees of the forest were like this big around. And it didn't knock them over, brothers and sisters. It snapped them at the base. And they're still laying there to this day. A third of the mountaintop blew off into the atmosphere. We had dust in Alabama. What? That's true. When I was in Miss Galloway's class, were you in my class? They came and gave us packets of Mount St. Helen dust. I've seen that with my own eyes. I've crossed the Washita River on foot in Arkansas, and I've camped in those mountains. I've overlooked the Gulf of Mexico. I have felt the fury of the winds of the Yakima Desert. Shook my trailer. I was out there in the army. We were at these trailers in the middle of the desert. I was like 50 miles from anybody and all of a sudden my trailer starts rocking like crazy and i think because army people are like this i think it's like two o'clock in the morning i'm thinking these jerks they think i'm asleep so they're in here rocking my shelter i mean it's going wah wah so i i'm like i'm gonna get these guys so i kick open my door and when i do the winds are blowing 75 miles an hour there's nobody rocking my thing but the hand of god and i my almost lost my cap which is bad 
Because the winds are blowing 75 miles an hour, and you get in trouble if you lose your headgear in the military. It was close. The moon was full that night, and the reason I mention it is because I could see perfectly. It's wild. In the desert, when the moon is full, you can see almost like dawn. And I could see for miles, and I could see at the edge of the desert, the mountains. You can see Mount Rainier. You can see those things way, way off. It looks like, oh, they're not far. They are. They're a long way off. I've seen the power of tornadoes and hurricanes and flood. I felt a tornado shake my house one time. I've seen the devastation it made in my town and in other places. I've seen the miracle of birth. I pulled a lamb out of its mother one time. <laughs> it lived. I've seen the miracle of birth, and I've held hands with a friend as they died. I've seen the stars. And they pressed on my heart that there is a creator. The first time I ever knew there was a God, I was not in church. I was in a foxhole, a foxhole religion. And I looked up at the stars, and I knew there was a God. I can't explain it to this day, but God opened my eyes to see that he is real. They sang creation song to me somehow, some way. That is what I mean when I say he is sovereign, he is magnificent. That is why every time I go by the National Geographic Channel and the Earth Show, Planet Earth is on, I am gobsmacked at everything I see. Because there's so much going on in this planet that is beautiful and glorious that we never even see. And the book of Job actually talks about this. You know, our ancestors, lots of them didn't know there were Big, giant blue whales flopping around in the ocean, jumping up. Generations of people lived and never knew those things were out there. And you know why God put them out there? They're bigger than this room. This whole place you could drive a Volkswagen car into the mouth of a blue whale and not touch the sides. In the Natural History Museum in North Carolina, they had a blue whale's bones hanging from the ceiling. And it's incredible. Mind-blowing. You know why God made those? Job says it's because he likes to watch them frolic. (laughs) Y'all like to see humpback whales jump, don't you? God does too. That's why he made them. They just bring him joy. This is what creation does for us. This is what it should do for us. And all of creation sings the song that there is a God and that he is awesome. Beyond our comprehension. And the reason he made those things is so we could hear that. That it could tell to us what he's like. So you go to Australia. I hope. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? You can look at a duck-billed platypus. It's a wild creature with like a beaver's tail and a duck's bill. And it lays eggs and it has fur. And it has poisonous spurs on its ankles. What? There are, this is my favorite maybe creature, I don't know. One of the quotes I, I've read about a guy, he said he was an insect studier. What is that called, entomologist or something? Okay, he said, I don't, I don't know a lot about God, but what I do know about him is that he is inordinately fond of beetles because there's like a million different species. There's a bombardier beetle that can shoot fire out of its abdomen. Look it up. It's for predators. Look it up. Two chemicals stored in two different places. When it shoots it out, they combine and make like fire. That is wild. 
And God, what did he do that for? He's making stuff. There are real-life zombies, by the way. They're insects. But there's a certain kind of fungus that has a spore, and if it gets into an ant or another bug or a grasshopper, it takes over its mind. And then it crawls to the tallest limb it can find, and the spores and the mushroom thing busts out of its head and back and sends out more spores to infect other insects. That's, that's creepy. <laughs> There's stuff like that everywhere. There's earthworms in places that are like six feet long. What kind of fish can you catch with those? <laughs> God is magnificent in his creation. We're always looking and finding stuff. They found so much stuff they had to start naming things after like their favorite uh, cartoon drawer. There's probably like a worm or a bacteria out there named after Charles Schultz or somebody because somebody liked peanuts. What are we going to name it? I don't know. We found so many new stuff. Let's just name it after a guy who draws cartoons. So God is magnificent, and that is what the creation is telling us. That is what Genesis 1 is telling us. All this stuff that is here and you're blown away by, so much so that other peoples worship them, don't do that because God made them all and turned them loose. And at the end... The sixth day, God prepared the earth for life so he could share his life with us. That is the point. His point was, I am going to make a place, a universe, that will show how I am so that they might enjoy me. I want to show them my greatness. Now think about that. Why would he do it this way? We, I think we talked about it here last week. I can't remember. I talked too much. I can't remember who I've told what. So just bear with me. You think you're smarter than a mouse, right? Maybe we talked about this last week. I know we did in Sunday school. You think you could probably get to the cheese at the maze, end of the maze, quicker than they could. You're smarter than a mouse. They can't read. They don't go to church. They can't make nice clothes. They don't wear top hats. Mice are not very smart compared to us. But God is infinitely smarter than us than we are to mice. Okay, do you speak mouse? Could you communicate a single thing to a mouse other than fear? Oh, the big giant thing going to step on me. Yeah, they don't even have that thought. But you can't speak mouse. We know dolphins are super smart, intelligent creatures. We can't talk to them either. How does he speak to us? An omniscient, all-powerful God. How is he going to speak to you? He's not a human being. He is God. Jesus is a human being. He joined us in creation. We're going to get to that in a minute. But God, if he wants to communicate to you and me things that seem incommunicable, what's he going to do? I'm going to make a universe to speak so that they can look and see of my glory and my might. That's what this place is for. This is what it's for. So you can see and understand the power and awesomeness of God. And worship him. And worship means enjoy him. Wow. He made a son that is... 186,000 miles per second times 8 minutes and 20 seconds off. Okay, that's a long way. Really far. And if I go to the beach with my shirt off, it will burn me in 5 minutes. That means it's really hot on that thing. He's amazing. The earth was uninhabitable, and so God prepared it for life. And as the crowning achievement, he made us, made in his image. 
You are greatly loved of God. That is what this universe is creating, is speaking to us. And that God is altogether lovely himself. He made all of this, everything, so that he could share himself with us. God is communicating his might and his love and his wisdom through creation. And so God is speaking to us in ways we can understand. Through the sublime through the beauty of creation. And if that were not enough, he joins us in creation. He spoke to us through the prophets in diverse ways, it says in Hebrews 1, but here in the end, he has spoken to us through his son. He's spoken to us through his creation, through the stars who day unto day utter speech, not not unto night they speak. There is no voice or language where they're not heard. He speaks to us through the stars. He speaks to us through the prophets, but he speaks to us through his son. And this is what it says. This is what this speech says. I have loved the world so much, I've given to it my only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will never perish but have everlasting life. That's why Jesus talks about earth. This is why He's telling us how He made it and what He made it for. Every single plant on the earth was good for food. It's not like that anymore. You get sick if you eat that stuff now. But one day... This is going to be restored. We will see soon that God often came to walk with Adam in the cool of the day. He doesn't do that anymore. Not like he did then. But one day he will. And we will see the glory of God then. Such as we've only tasted now. And we will go through all eternity seeing more and more of his goodness and greatness. John Calvin, in speaking of the scripture, and we might apply it to creation too, that when God speaks to us through his word, through his books, he baby talks to us. Because it's the only thing we can understand now. He comforts us with his presence. We can see him everywhere. So as you go about your life and you see these things and you're overwhelmed by it, the reason you feel so small because the world is so big, there's a reason that the psalmist David looks up at the sky and says, when I consider the heavens, the work of your hands, what is man that you take notice of him? What is the son of man that you consider him? We are so small and yet God takes notice of us. And sends his son to us to be one of us forever and ever. Share our common humanity. Because he wants to be with us. He wants to be with you. But this world has fallen and so are we. The only way for us to be restored to him is through the gift of his son. Who came to join us in creation to bring us back to God. Repent of your sin. Trust In the creator, Jesus Christ, through whom and for whom all things were made. And you will begin to see marvels that have been hidden from your eyes by your sin and our enemy. The Lord Jesus died so that we might live. He's risen because we will live forever. He is at the right hand of the Father so that where he is, there we may be also. That is the good news of Christianity. It is the good news 
the best news that there has ever been in this world. And that is the purpose of creation, for us to fellowship and know God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will help us be awed by you, by seeing the things that you have made and know that you are great. Help us pay attention in life. Lord, open our eyes to see as we walk and see the beauty of your creation, the things which your hands have made. Help us be awed by it. I pray for those in here who have never known Jesus. Have mercy, O Lord, have mercy. And wake them up and show them the light of Christ that they might be saved. Help us, Lord. Help us to be the image bearers you intend us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you do not know Christ this morning, he's here. He's everywhere. If you will call out, and he will say, you believe that the Lord Jesus died for your sins, which he did. They rose again on the third day. If you will repent and follow him as Lord, you will be saved. As we sing, this is our opportunity to think about the things.